0: Um, my guest is Professor Siegfried Hakimi. He's at McGill University, Department of Biology. And we're going to be talking about uh, what he's doing in the Hakimi lab, dealing with aging and stress and uh, you know the biology of it all. So, uh, Professor, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Yeah, and sure. you know, it, uh, it's it's uh, politicalization day today in Canada, <laughs> special day.
0: Oh, well, tell me, tell me about that briefly. What's, uh, what is that, and what's that about?
1: Well, marijuana is legal now in Canada from... Starting today, send, sold in government shops.
0: Wow. There you go. So after the podcast, are you going to run out and, uh, and dress them? <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> you can out- buy it online, too. But, you know, <laughs> yes, it's going to be people sometimes believe it's going to be a big so, sort of bring a big social change. Don't really believe that, you know, people are just going to get used to the fact that it's legal and won't make much of a difference. You know.
0: Yeah, I've seen in the United States and you know, I've been in states where it's legal and everything looks normal to me. Yeah, nothing exactly. looks weird. There's no, there's no creatures <laughs> running running the streets or crazy things happening. So, <laughs> exactly. There yeah, go. well, that's good. Good. Well, I'm glad. So, tell me about um, your lab and your work there. What's that about? Yeah.
1: So, well, we've been working now for close to thirty years on on the biology of aging, um, by using both nematode, *Caenorhabditis you know, elegans*, a small worm. Uh, but one millimeter long lives on you know, petri dishes which is very practical to study aging because it doesn't live very long and we can do good genetics but uh, we also moved into using mice and then uh, using uh, you know, human cells and developing drugs so we tried to kind of uh, pass from you know uh, very basic discoveries about aging using genetics to uh, attempt to actually act on aging by uh, drug development And uh, that's what we've been been doing, uh, you know, for a long time Um, with some, uh, uh, you know, our earliest thing, how we got into that is because uh, I discovered even when I was still, uh, before I had my lab, a a postdoc in in Cambridge, England, um, mutants that uh, are long lived. And I was one of the very first to find such mutants. And our mutants were or rather different from a uh, few other mutants which were already known at the time, which is they seem to affect, you know, metabolism, mitochondrial function, uh, things like oxidative stress, that is, uh, um, you know, the potential damage by free radicals, and uh, these sort of things. Um, and um, these have remained unique mutants to study this question uh, in aging. And it had allowed us to do something which was unexpected. and I. See as one of the one of the, the things which was fun to to do some paradigm shifting, some fighting dogma, is that we found that you know so-called reactive oxygen species, so what people sometimes call free radicals, which produce which can produce oxidative stress, uh, and people very much if you ask people in the street believe maybe it's a cause of aging, or many people believe it's the cause of aging. Is this is why they consume antioxidants, they buy antioxidants. Uh, actually. Free radical damage does not cause aging, and almost to the contrary, uh, free radical increases aging because it helps the body to fight uh, aging. And um, that was a very interesting uh, finding, and in a lot of our efforts.
0: Go I'm ahead. A, I'm a little bit confused. So, yeah, free radicals—they cause aging, or they help stop aging, or they what?
1: help oh. stop aging. They, they, you know, people. <laughs> there is the so-called. Uh, oxidative stress theory of aging, which has been around for a long time, which suggests, which has suggested, still suggests, that free radicals cause aging. And it's based on a number of not unreasonable ideas. Uh, one of them, for example, is that when you the older an animal or the shorter-lived an animal uh, a species, the more you see elevated level of free radicals. You know, when you get older, you have more free radical generation yourselves. And this has been interpreted, you know, Although this is just a correlation, it has been inter- interpreted as being, meaning that free radical cause aging. And what I believe we have been convincingly able to show is that, no, free radical increase because they're part of a system to recruit defenses against the damage caused by aging. And that's why it's correlated with aging. And we have been able, for example, to show that we can increase free radical generation in or model animal species and prolong the lifespan rather than shorten it. Okay, and we've been able to show something similar for mitochondrial dysfunction, free radical. One of the places where they produced this in mitochondria, which produce energy in the cells. And um, people have always always believed that maybe damage to mitochondria from free radicals or from other causes is also causal to aging. Because, of course, you need to make energy. You need your ATP for everything. Uh, but we've been able to show that clearly the level of damage that you see during aging in mitochondria does not cause aging. And even more profound damage does not cause aging. And here, too, there's some indication that maybe lowering energy production, which lowers the rate of all the processes in the cell, might actually help to live longer, to accumulate maybe you know, some molecular damage
0: for a longer time. Um well how can you show that, that uh free radicals help aging instead well, of uh,
1: because fun. well for example because if you can uh, take a normal animal or, you know, a non mutant animal and uh give them uh products that increase you know, drugs that increase free radical and this makes the animal live longer. Alternatively or another type of experiment we've done, you we have mutants which, where the mutations cause a, a damage, I mean, there's a the mutation makes mitochondria function differently, so that they actually produce more free radical. And not only do these mutants, in fact, live longer than normal animals, but when you treat these long-lived mutants as antioxidant, they now live as short than normal animals. So all the, these sort of um, experiments and more
0: well, suggest what you, that... What do you think is the, is the mechanism... Yeah. By which more free radicals would, would help an yeah. animal live okay. longer?
1: Good question. So, free radicals, you know, you see them as toxic, but they're really only potentially toxic because in the body, they, in, the, in cells, they are produced by various processes. And there's also a lot of very excellent defenses against, free radi- against too much free radical or against pot- the potential damage free radical can produce because they are uh, reactive. Just like in your cell, there are mechanisms which prevent too much calcium accumulation so that the cell doesn't become calcified or, or many other things. So free radicals are produced by cells, and they are under very good control in cells. doesn't mean that if you have much too much, it's not damaging, but that's only potential. In cells, free radicals are used as signaling messengers. So they are just like, I was giving the example of calcium or other things, They are intracellular Messenger molecules, which help the cell maintain homeostasis by talking between compartments, etc., and in this role as messenger molecules, and not about nothing about the potential toxicity that they are actually acting in pathways that help
0: combat aging, and we've you know so they're making communication that. more efficient between the different parts of a cell.
1: Yes, you know or maybe not. A question of more efficiency, more like it. Almost seems that um, the radical communication. You're right. Is specifically involved in the sort of pathway that will bolster a cell's ability to maintain its homeostasis, to survive, to resist shocks, etc. It's as if you know this sort of mechanism. For some reason particularly needs this sort of communication so it's, it's even better than you having overall a cell that works better it's like the way it works better is precisely it seems uh, for the sort of damage which we can observe occurs during our, our aging so again that's why we so I, I we believe that's that's why we there's this correlation that the, the more aged you are, the more free radical you have. It's not because the free radical causes the aging. It's because when you age, you need more free radical generation in the cell's attempt to constantly combat whatever damage uh, accumulates uh, because of the aging process.
0: So you think it could be actually detrimental to try to take supplements or do things that absolutely. would reduce your free radicals?
1: Picked on that, absolutely. So the, the good news is that probably most antioxidants that people buy and consume don't really work as antioxidants in your body, okay? They, they don't really change much, the redox state. And the other good news is that even when they do work, um, again, the body has a very good mechanism to maintain its redox level, which means you know, the balance between electrons bound and free are, um, um, at a set level. So the antioxidant won't do too much, but yes, they're potentially toxic, and it's very hard to, um, to see, because imagine, say, you're taking antioxidant, and this increases your aging rate by a few percent, which you certainly you don't want. This might be a few years, right? <laughs> but there's really no experiment or clinical trial you could easily do, which could demonstrate that, okay? I mean, it would mean that you'd have two groups. I mean, not just ethically, but just practically and cost-wise. You can't really do this trial, okay? So when a compound you can buy over the counter or, or, or has been shown or not, has not been shown to not be acutely toxic, then you take it. And if it's only chronically toxic, you don't know about it. And, and given that it seems that, and there's been lots of, in the study which has nothing to do with us, which people have shown that, consuming antioxidant has no beneficial effects. And forget that we have reason to believe it might even be bad, right? But certainly it has no beneficial effect. Then it's kind of tragic that people spend a lot of money and we're talking in the developing world it might be like a sensible fraction of the money they spend for food, you know, on antioxidant because they have been convinced by public opinion and now the industry of antioxidants and whatever and, and nutritional supplements in general that they should do that. That's good for their health. And as far as anybody knows nowadays, it doesn't do anything good and might even do something
0: bad. Yeah, I've seen tons of advertising for years. You know, I think that too, that you want to reduce free radicals. and yeah. well, um, You said slowing down some of the um, metabolic processes yeah. appears to lengthen the life of uh of various creatures. I've, I've learned about calorie restriction
1: right. as a
0: possible mechanism for that, but a what good, other mechanisms but, could cause well, machinery to slow down?
1: Right, so calorie restriction, it's not clear that it actually slows anything down, and to my mind, though, opinions might differ. Uh, I don't think we know how calorie restriction works, meaning why in some strains, because you know, in some mouse strains, for example, it works very well, um, calorie restriction can have such a big effect on lifespan, meaning increasing it, it's not entirely clear that it's by slowing down metabolism or doing something more twisted than that. Okay, <laughs> um, and uh, But the other me- the mechanism we've been studying, or we've seen that, is simply a mechanism where uh, the mitochondria function at a slower rate. So they actually consume food more slowly and produce ATP more slowly, and somehow the cell can accommodate with this by slowing everything down, and in part, this seems to increase lifespan. Um, it's interesting even for people, although there's currently no way to intervene, but because we don't know that the thing we're interested in, say, at which rate we are thinking or feeling or whatever, is directly influenced by our metabolic rate. Um, you know, I mean you know, there are probably big differences of metabolic, there's sufficient differences of metabolic rate between people. Some people have very energetic lives and others less so. And it doesn't seem to change anything to their mental state. So maybe even for people, there's a possibility to slow down their overall metabolism. It might make them slower walking up the stairs, but who cares, you know? <laughs> and this might be good for the lifespan. But again, definitely not demonstrated for people or, even not well demonstrated okay. for mice, you
0: know. Well, you've been doing this for 30 years, so what what are some of the really interesting... I mean, you mentioned it already that, you know, yeah. free radicals yeah. may actually, uh, you know, be assistive in the aging process. Yeah. What other surprises or things have you found that uh, either run contrary to common knowledge or are just interesting? You know, what have you figured out in the puzzle of aging that you think
1: right. is important? Right, Um. I mean, in a way, I... I Mostly, I, I, I rest that by saying it's these two things, really. It's been the... Well, well you know, initially, we, we, we go, if you go back to the start, the simple fact that we could have uh, mutant strains of worms, but, you know, never mind worms, where we changed, for example, only two base pairs in the entire genome, by right? Changing two amino acids in two proteins, yet you can have an animal to now live five times longer than the normal animal, for two base per change in the entire genome. Well, that was a real biological surprise. My uh, evolutionary colleagues here at McGill, they teach our papers just for this fact, <laughs> because people have this notion that aging is the ultimate multifactorial thing, and it was a purely quantitative thing. And the fact that we can actually change an animal's function to such a degree in terms of aging by changing almost nothing in the structure of the animal, even though we don't completely understand how, com- how this then brings about such a long lifespan, but the simple fact that you can, that was definitely a surprise. And um, then there was a surprise later to find that mutants that damage mitochondrial function, right, which make it worse and increases the radical. I mean, we were discussing earlier that you know make mitochondria work less well and uh, damage and increase the radical doesn't make you live short; it makes you live long. Uh, that was the next surprise. And then, as we discussed earlier, we you know studied that until we understood what was what actually what was actually going on. You know, and and, and that was the interest. And um, you know, um, that's definitely been yeah, I would say the biggest surprises. Um, um, since then, it's not that they are not other things, but we all got, got used to the fact that aging can be studied like when we study development, you know, uh, by using genetics, by using model systems, by intervening with drugs. In a way, we've been used to that. But in the early days, this was news that you could do this on a feature such as aging, you know. That was quite exciting. So,
0: the animals living five times longer, that's, that's a huge. Change. It's not just ten percent longer, but five yes. times that is incredible. Yes. Um, what what was different about these animals? You well, said they had a, a base pair switched, but what else did you notice? Like, uh, well, okay, about them. What what made but them different? One
1: thing is these animals, which had such large effects, but it's not necessary. The one we studied also were slow, meaning you know they they the rate of living and all the sort of things you would mind to measure was slow. But this is not necessarily the case. You can obtain very large engagement in lifespan, which animals which seem to be functioning at the same sort of weight uh, than normal animals. And as I, you know, as I said earlier, you know opinions vary. Some people think they know what's going on or whatever, but I think we don't really understand what changes allow this. Um, it's because we don't really understand what the cause of aging is. And when I say we don't understand the cause of aging, what I mean to say is the proximal or physiological cause of aging. What is it that really um, gets damaged and cannot be repaired properly? Okay? Some people believe it's not like that. It's a program. Aging is like development. It's a, something ticking. Okay? And when you tick X time, then you die. But I think the evidence for this is very weak, and aging still very much looks like an accumulation of damage. The problem here is we don't know what that damage is. And that's one of the reasons people love the oxidative stress theory of aging, because then we had the impression that we knew what the damage is. It's free radical damage, okay? And that's what accumulates, and, and there's more and more damage, and it can't all be repaired, and now the thing falls apart. But it's not clear at all that this is the case, and, um, and so we don't know what the damage is. To go back to free radical damage you might have heard of um, your naked mole rats which are a rodent model of animals which live a very very long time and uh, is now has been studied by a number of people and it's now studied also by calico labs you know the google company who works on aging and naked mole rats are interesting because they, they are the size of mice but they live 10 times longer than mice and their steady state, the base level of free radical generation and damage is much higher than mice. Another demonstration or proof that free radicals certainly do not even correlate well with, with aging per se, let
0: alone what role they play. You know?
1: um, so, but again,
0: but if you look I don't know long, why... Na- long, go ahead. If you look longitudinally at a normal animal versus mm-hmm. a mutant animal, have you looked at the, the rates of damage over time to the mitochondria for instance, and have you looked at the condition of cells yeah. and it, are you able to do a scales. side-by-side comparison?
1: It's a good question. It kind of scales. So we we people have looked little of that because it's harder than you think <laughs> um, uh, in terms of, you know, how do I say, standardizing everything and having measure you can truly believe. Um, but essentially, for these mutants who live a very long time, we kind of... It, it sort of scales. It's not like suddenly you're seeing something that never happens at all, right? It just happens at the equivalent time of their lifespan, say at 50% of their lifespan, even if it's a longer lifespan. You see the same level of damage, et cetera. So we, we, can't, we haven't identified what is not going wrong specifically because everything seems to be just scaling. And it kind of makes sense because, you know, think about human disease. If you were to, uh, and it's already happening a little bit, right? If you prevent people of dying from heart disease and cancer, then they live a little bit longer and all die from neurodegenerative diseases. So if you want people to live two times longer, then you have to affect all diseases in parallel, right? Otherwise, you just be killed by the next one, even if it normally starts a bit later, you know? So you have only very small increments. Um, is to obtain a very large increase in lifespan. Therefore, you you need to to really touch the basic mechanism of aging. And this is, seems to what we have done in this mutant. Even if we don't know what this basic mechanism is and how comes the mutant, therefore it doesn't it allows for longer lifespan.
0: So um, yeah, is a hard question. We don't always
1: have the answer. We most of the yeah. research you do is to create a question, right? So. That's
0: true. So. So things follow a certain trajectory and a path, but they could mm. they follow it just at different timescales. You're saying in the mutants, that's like right. The, the same things happens in the mutants; it just happens over a longer time period.
1: That's right, and and therefore mm. something must be happening more slowly in the mutant, which is the basis of it all. I and mean, we don't understand what that is. Um, some people think they understand. Do you it.
0: understand? I mean, I, I guess that. what I would do is study different parts of the trajectory. You know, like. And I'm sure people are doing this, but is there any insight at different stages of the trajectory on what's going on? Or is it just the whole thing a mystery?
1: One thing is the question of the trajectory. I am not aware that people have found that, you know, special things happen at special times in the long-lived mutants. Okay? Meaning, you know, it's all to do that. You know, when they're young, there's no damage, and then, then the damage starts later and so on. A little bit, but... It's not quite clear. Maybe calorie restriction is a bit like that, meaning that um, you know, it, you know, the animals stay younger for long and then start, f- start aging at the same rate as the normal animals. But for the mutants which affect uh, mitochondrial function, for example, it's more like during the entire lifespan for an interval they have aged less. You know, um, But this doesn't give you a mechanistic insight Of what is it? What it is that's not getting damaged? What forces that actually causal to aging is happening more slowly? There are hypotheses. So, for example, one hypothesis is that it's epigenetic, right? So our cells have very complex regulation to function. Some of them we know, and others we don't know. And there's a whole level of feedback mechanism with. 18 different you know <laughs> loops which all support each other um, which allows the cell to function optimally okay and um, and maybe some of these are libile so when you build them when you make a new organism all fresh from an intact cell you know uh, during development it's all in place and then slowly these things fall apart in a way which is not instantaneous, but you, know, you slowly lose a little bit of regulation, a little bit of regulation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and there's no good way to rebuild it de novo while maintaining the organism alive. And you know, I know it's a bit hand-waving, <laughs> but um, you know, something like that's going to be hard to study. Um, um, every cause of aging is hard to identify because you're always going to have the problem of um, a cause and effect. Because everything seems to become less well regulated with aging, therefore, when you find something that's less well regulated and you say this is causal to aging, it might just be a consequence of aging and not a cause so it's just hard to the
0: animals where well, you did the genetic engineering and switched the base pairs so they live mm-hmm. longer, did you do that uh, when they were embryos or did you do that when they were already adults
1: uh that doesn't make a difference, so we it's it's for the whole no so these animals. Uh, we're talking about viable strains. There's no problem, you know. There are, they are mutants forever, and, um, and they produce mutant progeny which live long. You know, everybody lives long. It's not a, it's not a development versus adult change thing. But the truth is, it's being said that people, I think for some of these mutants, have tried to turn off or alter the function of the gene only in adults, and it still increases lifespan a lot. So it, it's not purely development, you know, developmental setting or something. It's actually something that acts throughout. But again, and that was, it, also was it for an, adult,
0: radicals, you know, was almost, an adult animal that you did gene therapy on? Or was it an embryo that you did gene therapy on that was born in Originally, we didn't do gene therapy.
1: Originally, we just identify mutants which have random mutations. And then you find a mutant which has a certain property, say, long life. But the mutation was produced randomly by giving the mitogen. Nowadays, we have CRISPR. Well, that was not very exciting development um, in terms of technology, we have CRISPR, we can engineer this mutation. But originally, we just identified mutants which were produced spontaneously and then went and looked what was the mutation which gave the
0: properties we were looking at. But now that there's CRISPR, what have you done? Have you tried it on adult oh, animals?
1: yeah, so with CRISPR, absolutely. We we're using CRISPR routinely because CRISPR is beautiful because it allows you to speed up a lot of that. It allows you to use much more of the background information you already have about how cells function to play with very very precisely with some processes and um and therefore to to to, to have much more you know, you know high resolution experiments. So I can. For example, I'll give you an example. As uh, we explained earlier, we, we believe that free radicals um, are, are regulatory molecules, and signaling molecules. But to do this, they have to modify some proteins. And they do this on modifying the amino acid cysteine, okay, they oxidize the amino acid cysteine on, a, on protein X, and then this protein ch- can change its function because it's modified by the free radical, and this represents the signal. So what we can do with CRISPR, what we have done, is to replace a cysteine with a very similar amino acid, uh, a serine, but should cannot be oxidized. So now the molecule whose, whose function is maybe changed from free radical becomes deaf to any free radical uh, 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 signaling, and we look at the consequences. And we did this, for example, with the oncogene RAS, which is shown to be sensitive to free radicals and might be even involved in the ability of free radicals to increase lifespan and um, have very interesting results, we can also trans change the cysteine to an aspartic acid which mimics being oxidized and you know, so all this you know one amino acid at a time change uh, in one protein, which really allows you know great precision in the hypotheses you 're testing you know kind of decreases the hand waving a little
0: bit. But- yeah. Again, have you have you tried the genetic the gene therapy on young animals and old animals and middle aged animals? And if so, what have you seen happen if you introduce the gene therapy at different ages?
1: I'm not sure. I understand it, it. essentially makes no difference. I mean, but it's not really the way it works. You you're not actually. You know, I know you're thinking about humans where where people hope to use CRISPR on a particular tissue, say muscle, and then you know, they repair something in muscle and so on. But when you do this for experimental animals, you do it, in, if you want, in the germline. You, you modify the germline of one mother in order that it produces progeny that's already mutant for the change you want to engineer. So it's always the whole animal doing its all, whole lifespan. Okay. Um, what you're thinking of is like more like when people want to use CRISPR, for example, to cure specific diseases which are already present in you know, somebody good, who, who has a genetic uh, problem, like uh, as has been shown, for example, for muscular dystrophy, where then you try to use CRISPR right away on the muscle to, make, to repair something. What we're talking about here is more like a technological way to engineer mutant animals, where, which are mutant from birth.
0: Oh, so you haven't you haven't uh, tried to do gene therapy on an adult animal to turn it into a mutant?
1: No, it wouldn't know how to do it really.
0: It wouldn't it, work. It would be
1: very difficult because imagine you would need to be able to target virtually all its cells. What you can do is okay. having you know a little subset of cells, one particular tissue, one cell type, and even that's hard because then you have to be able to target it to to get the the whatever produces the CRISPR in there, only there, right? But that's what, again, some people try for some diseases, but for this sort of studies,
0: we haven't tried that. I'm not sure it's easy to do. You know? Okay, got it. Um, so what, what's next uh, for your lab? What's coming in the near future that you're going to be working on? Uh, yeah. Where's so the current, experimentation going to go from we here? Are
1: most, we, are, we, are, we are doing, you know, as I said, some of these studies using CRISPR to dissect things at the single amino acid level of how Free radicals help rather than damage, you know. Um, And the other big thing we're doing is we're doing drug development in the space of modify of mitochondrial diseases and um, how mitochondrial dysfunction, uh, when it's too severe, produces disease. But maybe if it was much less severe would actually be beneficial, so that you can't just go and say, well, you know, we want only to boost it or we want only to decrease it. You have to find the sweet spot. And uh, we are yeah, doing a lot of drug discovery also in a particular space, which is a space of coenzyme Q, ubiquinone, which is a lipid-like molecule which is necessary for mitochondrial electron transport, um, and for which there are um, there are some People who, who have mitoc- ubiquinone deficiency, the lack, uh, the ability to make normal amounts of this molecule, and uh, we have a, you know mouse models and uh, a drug screens for this, and we've been successful in actually finding um, a compound which helps to absorb ubiquinone, which is very. UB- I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm using some terms interchangeably, ubiquinone, coenzyme Q, CoQ10, it's all the same thing, um, just different names for it. And so these are molecules that's very hard to absorb, and we found a way to, to, to boost this a lot and actually um, trying to, to 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 start a spin-off. I start, had a spin-off company like 15 years ago for about 10 years from our work here on aging, and, and now on this particular field of uh, uh, ubiquinone, you on deficiency. Uh we also gain trying to get a spin off starting for drugs we've already discovered while at the same time finding new ones, you
0: know. So it seems like uh aging is is a programming of our genetics. It seems like we just don't understand maybe the mechanism, but it's there's a whole orchestration that comes from our genes that, you know, sets in motion these events that cause us to age or all, all creatures to age, is what it uh, seems like.
1: I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's it's a secondary effect. It's not like programmed to happen it's more like it's more like neglect, okay so right it's not like there's a little program or machinery that makes you age. It's just that the machinery that prevents you from aging, meaning what is aging in that sense falling apart slowly okay is not perfect. it's not optimal. It's really there because if I kill you, each of your cells is going to fall apart a lot faster than it um, falls apart while you're alive, okay? So there's a machinery that prevents you from falling apart, but what you're suggesting is that there's a machinery that makes you fall apart, and I'm not sure there's any evidence for that. Mm, Okay. So what we want to do is to, what we would want to do in a a big view thing is always to find what, what makes things fall apart or what things fall apart first or more crucially, and then boost the machinery that makes it fall apart slowly to make it fall apart even more slowly, okay? Um, rather than, b- than blocking the machinery that makes you fall apart, because I don't think there is a machinery that makes you fall apart. There's just a machinery that prevents you from falling apart, and it's not working well enough. All right,
0: that makes sense. What
1: you're trying to find, you
0: know? Well, what's what's your gut tell you how many different types of machinery mm-hmm. and how many different places uh, is the uh, machinery being used to prevent but, you from falling apart?
1: Uh, So, some people believe, you know, it's just entropy, which means that everything falls apart in parallel, you know. So, there's really no specific mechanism in cells that you can address because they all fall apart in parallel, okay. Even if you say that, and and I don't like that theory just because it's very hard to test. And I think untestable things are not that interesting. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, even if you say that, then still mitochondria might be the place to act because it's still true that two functions a cell use. I mean, we're starting talking thermodynamics here. Two uh, functions a cell needs uh, energy. And uh, if it's just slowly falling apart by entropy, if you give it less energy and instead can still function but more slowly, it might still allow it to fall apart more slowly by entropy. But I think there is also reasons to believe that it's not true that everything falls apart, and that there is some things which are harder to maintain than others, which then secondarily, you know, becomes deleterious for the whole cell, and we can still try to identify that. Um, and the experiments I was telling you about earlier, for example, that you know we can have animals that live a lot longer than normal animals by changing very few things in them, suggest that maybe there's not that many things that need changing. Uh, Or that, you know, you can fix a few things and then secondarily it'll fix a lot, okay? Um, That there's something more fragile um, to, you know, aging if you want, to, you know, something fall apart more quickly than others and then just pull the others behind them. And then if you intervene on these, then we we have a chance to slow things down. This is somewhat theoretical consideration, you know, in the absence of really understanding the mechanism, but what, what everybody does is always a mixture of, you know, trying to have new concepts new ideas, and yet in some em- more empirical kind of, you know, trying to find a drug that works. And you kind of worry later on how it works, okay? If you're having a good screening mechanism for such a drug, then finding the drug would be a first step, to, and then, which you then can use to find out what does the drug do, you know? So one always does a little bit of both, you know?
0: Is it possible right now for people to... Uh... Do genetic engineering, even though it probably wouldn't be allowed, but to do genetic engineering so that the children that they would have would live a lot longer than uh, normal people.
1: I don't think we know what to change to make
0: to do this.
1: So I, I, I just don't think the knowledge is there to do that, even if people wanted to try. You know, we, we, I would know what to change, <laughs> and 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 be confident this is
0: going to be good rather than
1: bad. Okay. I don't think there is. Right, well, you a, wouldn't
0: want people creating a race of, uh, you know, long-lived, like, superhumans. Uh,
1: well, they wouldn't yet. be superhuman. Come on. Okay, this is well, something worth talking about. This is a misconception. The misconceptions is following. You know, sometimes people say, also tell me, well, but, you know, if people live longer, then we have a problem for resources on the planet and so on. But, you know, demography, how many people are around and any place at any given time is almost entirely driven by nata- by birth rate and not by death rate. So when you increase lifespan by people by 15%, which would be a lot, right? People would pay for that, a lot, okay? Um, this is nothing that's 15% compared to, now people in Canada have 1.2 children rather than 17 previous generation, okay? <laughs> that changes how many people are around, not if you make the people who are there live a little longer. Um, so I don't think that, you know, there is anything known. You know, the, the sort of effect you can hope for in our effort to understand aging um, and intervene pharmacologically, say, um, it's not the same order of magnitude than when really changes the population structure. You know, which is all to do with birth rate. Um,
0: yeah, it might actually have a reverse effect if if it happened, because then people would be in no rush. To have <laughs> yeah. children; they may put it off forever, and so yeah, maybe actually, who knows? Yeah. It would it's
1: just. actually you're making another point, interesting point here. You know, people now after in Westernized ca- countries, everywhere, but more, much more in Westernized, Westernized countries, have children much later, and this, in fact, creates an evolution, a selection pressure for still being healthy enough, especially for women, to to be capable of having children. Okay which means that on the long run, this will make people live longer because only those who are still physiologically young at the age where they have children will have children or rather they will have more children. And so this delay in the time of first reproduction might actually, terms of, you know, at a relatively long time scale, at the level of the species, make people live longer. You know, That's sort of an interesting consideration. Another consideration while we're speaking of that is that, you know, we're talking about intervening and maybe making people healthier. But, I mean, the biggest effect on lifespan you can imagine has already happened, which is that people live three times longer on average than two centuries ago. Okay? So your environmental condition, meaning your lifestyle, how hard you work, how well you feed, how warm you are in the winter, cool in the summer, all of it, this has a large effect on your lifespan we are living a long time. I mean, I'm 62 and I'm in, in unbelievably good shape. <laughs> Two centuries ago, I would have terrible <laughs> uh, and probably would be dead, actually, probabilistically, you know, and um, this is really how easy my life has been and still lives. I mean, you know, easy being, you know, general concept, but all these things which protect us from harm, from physical stress and bone form and also, really allow us to live long. I mean, and this is a huge effect. This is an effect like the one we discussed earlier. This is a threefold effect.
0: It's huge.
1: And this right, is still well, in, in continuing. So in Canada, for example, um, the average lifespan is still
0: increasing linearly
1: and with no appearance of stopping. There you go.
0: And, and how fast a rate does it appear to be increasing? Um,
1: don't know, but... Uh, because I don't have it on top of my head but what I see in my head is the, the line, it's just a straight line for now, it doesn't seem to be, you know, flattening out, so it's increasing quite a bit and uh, I think it. I don't know, I don't want to give a silly number but as, as I just said, you know people now, life expectancy is above 80, okay well, definitely wasn't that, you know well, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it's like at least 20 or 30 years per century, you know, that's a lot
0: mm, okay well, very good. I mean, you know, I could ask you questions for a, a long time, but I think we're out of time. Yeah, so, what, what's the best way? Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch and to ask questions?
1: Oh, it's email for sure. You so have would it my... be
0: okay to give that email?
1: Yeah, I can give that email. No problem. I mean, it's it's sigfried.hakimi@mcgill.ca. So on your site, it's easy to have it. Well, very good.
0: Any any last thoughts before we wrap up? No, not really.
1: (laughs) I said a lot. So there
0: you go. All right, Professor. Uh, Thanks for coming. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. You're welcome.
1: It was fun. Okay. Bye. Good day.
0: You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse.